Hello, film freaks and list queens and all the ships at sea, and welcome to A Very Good Year, the movie podcast where we invite a guest to pick their favorite year of movies and talk to us all about that year. I'm your host, Jason Bailey, and across the mic and halfway across the country from me is my co-host, Michael Hull. Our guest today is a filmmaker whose work has appeared at the San Diego Latino Film Festival, New York World Film Festival, and PBS Short Film Festivals. He also hosts the 300-plus episode strong Esta OK Film Podcast, please excuse my pronunciation, where he reviews new releases and film festivals. And he's a grad student in film production at the University of Texas, where we're currently recording this podcast which is why it sounds so clean. Uh, say hello to our pal, Sergio Munoz. Hi, Sergio. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. Wow, yeah. Three, this morning, so yesterday, we have uh, we had the, a live stream with the friends uh, talking about our predictions for the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And I put that live stream as a podcast in my in my podcast. It's okay. And I noticed we are in 308 episodes. I'm like, that's like, this is Mike. This is what, like our like 17th or something. Like, Yeah. We're closing in on 20. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a strong so, double digit. <laughs> yeah. It's that. I mean, that's a, that's a hell of an accomplishment. No, yeah. Like I, 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 I started doing it because I just love talking about movies. Yeah. And every time I watch a movie, I talk about that movie. Usually even not only new releases, but also like classic movies when there's a movie that, like is making me want to talk about it. I make it. You just go do it. I yeah. just do it. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, it, I I appreciate you uh, welcoming us here to. As I mentioned, we are we are in Austin. I will be. Uh, this will air later after a bunch of other sh- more sort of directly South by Southwest recorded shows that we're doing. But uh, but you know, you're you've been doing the podcast for for how long now? Two years. Yeah, two years. Three hundred plus episodes in two years. Like that's that's I don't know even if that's prolific. That's like addictive behavior. I don't know that's healthy. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 like like I remember when I covered Sundance last year, like Mm -hmm. it was my first time covering a, a festival and I was like I'm gonna do an episode for every single movie. Oh god! And I did it, and then it came uh, TIFF, and I covered TIFF. But then we're like, I'm not. I'm not, not gonna do that. No. <laughs> you like one a day, you roll boundaries. three or four in. Yeah, boundaries, yeah. even with my obsessions. Boundaries. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, Sergio, tell us uh, what movie year you chose uh, and why. I pick 1996. Okay. Um, Okay, it wasn't my first pick. My first pick was going to be 2019, uh-huh. but I feel I feel that it was like the you know like 2019, 27, 2014, 1994 is like the most. But I was like I wanted to pick one that it's not that like popular. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I picked 1996 because Train Spotting. Mm-hmm. It's one of my. I always consider Train Spotting my favorite film ever, but. Obviously, with, with time, I was like, well, maybe I have, like, I can't compare. I can't have, like, a favorite film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. I I picked 1996 because of Train Spotting. You know what? This is becoming the trend when I ask people why they chose. It's all, I think our last five episodes have all been, like, my favorite movie came out in this year. And then I looked and I was like, well, the rest of them are good, too. So I'm going to do that. Yeah. So there's no shame at all in the work your way backwards strategy for selecting the year. And just so Mike and I can feel uh, properly ready to just, like, turn into <laughs> dust. How old were you if you were even alive yet in 1996? Minus two. Oh. 
I was born in 1998. You were not even an embryo yet in 1996. Yeah, I was born in 1998. That's fine. We were both uh, in college in 1996, but it's fine. It's fine. I'm not not worked up about it at all. Not only were Mike and I in college in 1996, but all sorts of other interesting things were happening in that year as well. And now Mike's going to run down some of them. Here's headlines. 1996 was designated as the International Year for the Eradication of Poverty. So obviously none of us know what it's like to be a poor in the whole world. So that's awesome. I'm glad that worked out. That was a a watershed year in eradicating (laughs) poverty. Congratulations, poverty. Yasser Arafat was re-elected president of the Palestinian Authority. And Benjamin Netanyahu became president of Israel for the first time. So we're in that era. Worked out great, if I recall. Later in the year, both the PLO and the state of Israel would drop language from their charters calling for each other's eradication. Okay, well, that is progress. That's That's a step. Something. In the yes, right direction. A step in the right direction. I'm, I'm really enjoying this podcast right now. <laughs> Whoa. Like, when I watch a film, I never think, like, what happening this What was happening this What year? was Arafat up to while yeah, Danny probably, Boyle was making the, this shot? The closest I, 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 I did this was, like, when I was watching The Sopranos, and I was like, okay, this is the post-9-11 yes. season. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm re-watching the show right now for a book project, and it's like, oh, right, everyone's got a little American flag yeah. pin on their lapel this season, <laughs> everyone in an authority position. What else is going on, Mike? Fighting between Russia and Chechnya is raging. Boris Yeltsin is still president of Russia. Uh, he was uh, sworn in for his second term in 96, mm-hmm. but it was not going well. No. Uh, the UN was busy trying to inspect Iraqi nuclear and chemical plants. Uh, some days were better than others. They were frequently right. not let in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was on its way to a thing that was mm-hmm. going to happen a few years later. Twelve people died trying to climb Mount Everest for some god-awful unknown reason. That mm-hmm. remains the most dead tourists in one year on, on the Earth's tallest mountain. Okay. The god you mean god awful unknown reason that they that they were killed or that they were climbing it to begin with. Oh, that they were climbing. It's well known why they were killed because they were on the tallest mountain in the world (laughs) and the storm came. Good evening. A siege is underway in the Tasmanian town of Port Arthur, where at least twenty five people have been shot dead in Australia's worst massacre. Another twenty six are wounded. The gunman is holding police at bay. He's believed to be holding at least one person hostage. Most of the victims are reported to be tourists visiting the historic penal colony at Port Arthur. And a warning that some of the pictures in this report may be disturbing. Australia banned private ownership of automatic and semi-automatic rifles after the Port Arthur massacre. And guess what happened? Uh, Some people still got shot, but they're not having mass casualty events. No, I... I I, hang on, but gun, guns don't kill people. People do, so I don't understand. <laughs> You're in Texas, bro. Watch your fucking mouth. Yeah, is a siren going to go off in here? Is I, I'm Greg Abbott's going to come in and personally yeah, take you down to a shooting range? Texas and guns. <laughs> The Irish Republican Army was wiling the fuck out. Uh, They set several bombs in 96, including one in Manchester that injured over 200 people. Mm -hmm. And I I was writing that just shortly before I watched the scene where he was like, we were colonized by wankers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So, like, I mean, these world events are actually relevant to movies, I swear to God. Yeah, yeah. 33-year-old Richard Jewell has spent most of today sitting on some steps just outside his mother's Buford Highway apartment while FBI and ATF agents turned it upside down looking for clues. 
As they remove boxes of material, Jewell's attorney finally admitted his client is the suspect, still maintains he isn't guilty of anything. Have they found anything inside of your knowledge? No. No, and I don't think they're going to either. And frankly, we welcome this because then this thing is going to be over. That summer was the Olympics in Atlanta, Georgia, mostly known now for the Centennial Olympic Park bombing. Uh, Jason, I'm sure you Mm. remember when the U.S. media Mm -hmm. completely ruined Richard Jewell's life with no evidence and for no reason. I've seen that movie. I've seen that movie as well. So, yes, I know all about that. It was was somehow it was all uh, a female journalist's fault. So just FYI, (laughs) if you've seen the Clint Eastwood movie, it was uh, Olivia Wilde's fault. Great. We can all blame it on the one lady instead of there the thousands <laughs> of camera people, paparazzi following him around. There you go. Uh, also, Osama bin Laden published his magnum opus, The Declaration of Jihad on the Americans Occupying the Country of the Two Sacred Places. So it wasn't hard to see where that was going. Look, I've done I'm an editor. I've done a bit of editing. I've done a bit of <laughs> publishing as well. Um, memo, uh, OSL, OBL, shorter title. You got to make it tighter. You got to make it fit cleanly on a cover like no wonder nobody bought into this thing it's way too long at least give me some place to put a colon yes exactly actually the taliban took over afghanistan in 96 so that's where it was going okay well that Hmm. that, yeah okay i don't have a joke here's some some sort of good news the comprehensive nuclear test ban treaty was signed so we have not yet promised to not drop them on each other, but we have promised to stop dropping them on random deserts around the world. Again, like like with Palestinian Israel, baby steps, baby steps. We take little baby steps and we're happy for them. Tonight, Bill Clinton proves his title, the comeback kid. He is our projected winner as president of the United States, reelected for a second term, the first Democrat since Franklin Delano Roosevelt. This is the headquarters in Little Rock, Arkansas tonight. A night of triumph. And finally, in 1996, Bill Clinton beat Bob Dole in the U.S. presidential election and set us up to argue about whether a blowjob is sexual relations for the next four years. <laughs> God damn it. Boo <sighs> all I'm of wonder- that. I'm Boo. wondering if in like 10 or 15 years I'm going to have the same conversation of uh, Trump and Biden. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Like, yep. remember yep. when that happened? Yep, yeah, pretty much. Yep. yep. Well, 96 was also the last year that Ross Perot was taken seriously as a person or politician. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this was, I think, both of our, the the first time either of us voted in a presidential election. Yes, Michael? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Sure was. Sure was. Went out and voted against Bob Dole like good Kansans. Yeah, the first time I had to vote for a Democrat and be like, ugh, god damn yep. it. Yep. Yeah, that was that. Beginning of a long pattern. <laughs> uh, Disney bought ABC that year and started metastasizing into the behemoth they are today. Boom. Remember when Disney was just like a cartoon company? Yeah, I sure do. Yeah, <clears throat> And uh, the Nintendo 64 debuted in 1996, so that's like genuinely good news. Okay, I'll take that. Something important. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, most of the famous people who were born in 96 are lame, so okay. let's do an in memoriam instead. With no no Backstreet Boys born in that year? Uh, not that I could tell, no. All right. All right. No, they were, they were, they were, they uh, were, Preparing for their ma- for their uh, their blaze that's fire right. run. That's their right. There we go. Yeah, they were they were they were crouching and doing vocal warm ups and <laughs> and dan- doing dance exercises, cleaning Lou Pearlman's butthole. I'm sure. Oh my god. Oh my god. Francois Mitterrand had an ortolan bunting, the dish so decadent you hide your face from God as you eat it, <laughs> and then he died of prostate cancer a few days later. I gotta tell you, I arrived in uh, Austin last night and had some barbecue that was so decadent I hid my face from God while I was eating it too. <laughs> Hi-oh! 
Uh, badass Barbara Jordan, one right. of uh, the only good politicians in American history. Yep. Super producer Don Simpson died in 96. Uh, noted cocaine aficionados Don <laughs> and, Simpson. Indeed. Uh, Gene Kelly, Minnie Pearl, George Burns, Lucio Fulci, uh, real life and movie cowboy Ben Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy the Gent. Uh, who none of us knew. He was the organizer of the Lutanza heist. Never met yep. him. Don't know anything yep. about him. Yep. Designer Saul Bass. Who designed the titles for Goodfellas about the Lufthansa heist. See, that's a big, big, big year. It all comes around. There you go. Uh, Johnny Guitar Watson, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Timothy Leary, and Tupac Shakur all passed that's, in 96. That's going to be my dream bump rotation for this week. Yeah, I would hope there would be some music and Timothy Leary would shut up and dance. <laughs> Carl Sagan, Claudette Colbert, and the great Bill Monroe, also known as the father of bluegrass. Peace yeah. be upon him. That's right. That's yeah, right. beautiful man. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know, beautiful music. I didn't know him personally. He might have been right. his wife. He was probably a dick. Like all the like, people yeah. who were great artists are turning out to be dicks. <laughs> so probably. He was probably a giant asshole, but thank you for all the bluegrass. And then Jordan to Pippen. Unbelievable. 87 to 70. The closing moments as the Bulls skate towards another championship. Kukoc gives the ball to Jordan, and Michael holds on to that as if it were his child. Chicago wins 87-75. Jordan wins the MVP award and puts on a performance in the locker room afterwards, openly weepling in front of the TV camera. The Chicago Bulls had a record-breaking 72-win season in 1996. They beat the Seattle Supersonics to win the NBA championship. Michael Mm -hmm. Jordan was so famous, they let him play baseball and be in a movie. Yeah, yeah, good times. Turns out he was mostly only good at basketball. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) certainly not the other two things. Uh, the first floorball world championships were held in Sweden and won by Sweden, so that's obviously suspect. <laughs> uh, floorball is like uh, hockey without ice, so you take what away the, the fuck? Ex- or fighting, right? You take away the exciting parts; it just sticks. <laughs> Jesus, fucking Swedes. Tiger Woods went pro and won work Rookie of the Year. I'm going to go out mm-hmm. on a limb and say he got laid in '96. Safe bet. Safe bet. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche beat the Florida Panthers to win their league that year, but I'm not going to tell you which sport because I bet you don't know, and we'll just leave it that way. <laughs> You're not wrong. No, that's uh, that's no, I don't know actually. I don't. <laughs> Sri Lanka beat Australia by seven wickets in the Cricket World Cup. Man, uh, but seven the, wickets. No idea. Seven wickets. Means. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing like the ninety wicket. Uh, <laughs> see, don't worry. Yep. It's fine. Just know yep. that they won. Okay. Uh, but the big sports news of '96 was in the WWF, where Jabroni Hulk Hogan shocked the world by becoming a villain the first time, mm-hmm. and the timeline has never been the same. Yeah, remains a villain <laughs> in many. I mean, Many you can't ways. hang out with Peter Thiel and not be a fucking villain. <laughs> it's just sort of the company you keep, bro. It's how it works. That's headlines. All right. Thank you, Mike. All right, Sergio. Are we ready to do a top five? Uh, ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. So uh so we we're doing a sort of a, a random it's this is not a ranked list. But these are your five favorite movies from this year. We're just not going to take the extra step of, of putting them in an order. Instead, we're just going to kind of kind of throw one out and see where we go. So, Sergio Munoz, what is your number five pick for the top five movies? See, I now hold on. See, I, I can't get out of the habit of saying it in the ranked way. Mike, don't leave this part in. Okay, here we go. So, Sergio Munoz, where should we start with your five favorite films for 1996? Let's start with Train Spotting. 
Choose a family. Choose a career. Choose life. But why would I want to do a thing like that? No four friends were ever this close. No four friends ever went this far. What's on the menu this evening, sir? Yeah! It was the craziest scam in a lifetime of crazy scams. This is the movie Rolling Stone calls hilarious and electrifying. Choose your future. Train spotting, rated R. From the great Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle. Yeah, yeah. This was, uh, I got to tell you, again, Mike and I were in college when this movie came out, and it was a very popular movie among college boys. <laughs> so tell us tell us why you love Trainspotting so much. Okay, the first time, as many people, the first time I watched that movie, because, you know, like, I, I saw it and I read about it in different articles and so many lists, and I was like, okay, I have to watch it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I watch it maybe... I think before high school, my first year in high school, and um, I remember watching on Netflix, and I was like, okay, <laughs> fine, all right, right, cool, right. And then for some reason, I rewatch it, and there's there like in the last couple of years, there's so many movies that I watch, and I'm like, okay, fine. But I feel I feel like if mm-hmm. I rewatch, I'm gonna love them the same way as right. Train Spotting. So then I rewatch Train Spotting. And for some reason, I I was like, whoa, like, mm-hmm. this movie is so good. What happened to me last right. time I first time I watched it? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I do think this is a key thing about movies that have sort of become canonical is I think a lot of times we have to watch it once just to sort of like strip away um, the, the sort of golden idol yeah. that has been built around it. Yeah. Um, and and to, to sort of have that kind of, okay, well, that's a movie, I guess. And then yeah. when you see it again and you can just watch it as a movie – then you can be like, oh, I see what they were doing. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. And then I, I remember I rewatched it for yeah. the second time, and I was like, this movie's so good. It's so fun, and and but it's, I, I found so many stuff that I didn't caught like the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. And then I buy, I bought the movie. Mm-hmm. I bought the Blu-ray. And good, I, good man. Like probably a week later. Yeah. And I rewatch it. Yeah. I was like, this movie is amazing. <laughs> and then every time I was watching it, I, I was like, I, I love this movie. Yeah. And I love it because it's a film. I always I have always seen Transponding as a film of of failure, but also success. Mm-hmm. I have like this crazy theory that the movie it's about what like what if we all as in, as individuals we have like like a top of success. Mm-hmm. And what if we already get to the top? <laughs> what if we already, or not only success, because I, f- I feel like success in the movie, it's translated as happiness. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 for me, it's like, what if we already reach like the highest point of happiness in our right, lives? Right. What if this is as good as it gets? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And I feel because I don't know, like dream, like we all we all have dreams, and I want to be a filmmaker and whatever. But like, there's like, what if? Not only what if I don't get to that like dream, but also like other like other stuff, like my relationship with my girlfriend or with my friends, or which it's part of the theme of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you, do you like the second one? I love the second one. 
Yeah. I love the second one. I love yeah, the second one. Yeah, I, I think the second one, it's a great compliment of the totally. first one. Absolutely. Because it, 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 it is also about getting, that. It's about getting old and coming to terms with like yeah. disappointment and, and not being the person that you envisioned, envisioned yourself being in 1996, which is something that I might know a thing yeah. or two about <laughs> as well. well. And not sort of obviously where that movie was going to go. Totally. Like where the first one was, you know, not sort of obviously the the resolution right. of the yeah. first one, and, and until you're talking, like you're saying, until you've sort of seen it enough times to to sort of see through the 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 incredibly effective toilet, the baby, yeah. like some mm-hmm. of these sort of set pieces that are so incredibly effective that that's what you end up remembering right. until you go back and you watch again and you're like, oh wait. You know, it's sort of you start to see the pattern in his relationship with Spud and stuff like that, right? Like right. Yeah. that is not a one watch sort of of way to consume it, but it's yeah. so deeply uh, there in the movie. Yeah, and and I feel like when you watch both movies and you're trying to like I don't know if you start like analyzing like what's the highest point of happiness of each character, mm-hmm. I feel like Spud is the only character that end up being happy when at the end of the second one he, mm-hmm. when he's writing. His stories and mm-hmm. and it's like this is the only character that it it's actually happy mm-hmm. and and the end of the first one it's selling you the idea that uh, Renton is it's it's now right. found a way to happiness but the second one is like this guy he didn't really end up being happy no and same for the other characters Spot is the only one yeah so and and it's about and I feel like that's like the 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 meaning of success of, of finding the pursuit of happiness and I feel like train spawning it's about that thing yeah. I also I remember when I was in, in I was in my undergrad uh we I think I, I did an, a, a video essay for a class uh, for this class about theory and criticism and it was a a, a, a video essay about the soundtrack mm-hmm. and analyze how every song, which depending on who was performing or who wrote the song or what year the song was was released mm-hmm. it has a, a certain context on the film mm-hmm. it's either like like a Lou Reed song uh, perfect day which is like in the moment in which Renton having a it's it's um, having a, a overdose right and every song from the 70s it's like a like when the character's doing bad, it's like a pulling mm-hmm. back the character. And every time a song from the 90s, it's when Renton had, he's having contact with, um, the, um, what is the character? Oh my God, the, the, the actress, what is the name? Uh, oh, Kelly, Kelly McDonald. Kelly McDonald. Mm-hmm. Every time she's on screen, it's there's a song of the 90s, mm. which is helping Renton to advance. It's mm. like her, her, her character, it's helping rent into advancing his life like getting yeah. out of drugs and yeah. this life of I don't give a shit about life you know? yes and then we have like I love when the what is the name of the song when he's in London mm-hmm. when oh, I forgot the, the song but I every time we hear like electronic music it's right. more about the future like mm-hmm. going like forward and I love how the music, it's all like all over the place. Like it's very well placed mm-hmm. in the film. And telling its own version of the story. Yeah. Yeah. 
big time now. And I would also imagine that seeing, you know, I because this is one thing I do remember about it. In 96 when it came out, like, I still sort of fancied myself a filmmaker. Yeah. So, like, you know, seeing a movie that where the filmmaking is this exhilarating when you're searching for inspiration, when you want to be a filmmaker yourself, it's like it gets it gets into your bloodstream. Yeah. The way that this movie works. Um, your number, your not number two, but the next film on your list is another filmmaker, uh, filmmaking duo, actually, that I was taking quite a bit of inspiration from uh, at this time as well. Uh, Sergio, what is your next film in your 1996 top five? My number two is Fargo by the Collins. Okay, we got a shooting. A story so strange. There's a high-speed pursuit. It's got to be fiction. And then this execution-type deal. A place so real. You were having sex with a little fella then. Yeah. It's got to be true. Oh, yeah. A brilliant, macabre thriller. So utterly original. It could only be Fargo. Police! From the creators of Raising Arizona, there won't be a better film this year. (laughs) Fargo. Rated R. I love that film yeah. so much. Yeah. So much. Have you seen the show? Yeah. It's great. I love it. It is great. It I, is, I like, I like so it very fun. much. It's, <laughs> it is fun. It's, it's, yeah, I love that it's the, the, the work of someone who is clearly like just a big old Coen Brothers fan and yeah. is writing some Coen Brothers fan fiction and, and that's and good for him. Um, what? When did you first see this one and sort of what was your immediate takeaway from it? Probably watch it around the same time as... Uh, uh, string spotting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't remember why. Probably because it, it was on Netflix in, mm-hmm. in Mexico. Yep. And um, and I read about that about that movie a lot. And um, I don't rem- I don't know. I don't remember if by that time I was conscious of who the kind brothers were. Sure. Uh, but I remember I watched it, and I love how gray the characters are. Like gray. Like there's not good or bad. It's like. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I love Frances McDormand's yeah. character because it's like the kind of character that it's she's good. Yeah. She's a good person. She is. And and it's funny because we usually love like bad characters, mm-hmm. like bad people, like mm-hmm. Adam Sandler and Anka Jens. Right. Like, a guy who's crazy and he's a bad person. But I also love I I think it's also difficult to write a good person as a character. Mm-hmm. A a character who who um it's only doing good. Yeah. Sometimes it's boring, but in this case, it's a very interesting character. Yeah. Because I love that Frances McDormand's character, it's, um, she's beyond of being just like the detective. Right. You know? Right. She's part of the community. She's just pregnant. She has her, her life. Um, and I love that character. Also, um, all the all, all the cast, but um, Macy H Macy, William H Macy, yeah, William H Macy, uh, it's amazing. Uh, uh. But I love, I love how the the Conan brothers create this annoying characters, but without being annoyed. Like I think there's a line in which, like, there's a point in which the character is annoying to a point like audience can can stand the yes. character, and it's yes. difficult to watch a movie. And I think the the Conan brothers have this fucking skill this talent of, of creating characters that are annoying without being like yeah. making the movie unbearable to watch yeah. you know yeah no that's a really good point well and the thing to keep in mind too i think that that's so terrific about uh about the francis mcdormand character was that this was at a real sort of crossroads for them in their filmmaking career because they'd done the hudsucker proxy which which i think is a delightful picture 
But I, I haven't, I haven't seen that one. It is a lot of fun, but it is a very like stylized screwball comedy homage. It was tremendously expensive. It lost just like a comical amount of money. And there was a real question as to like if it might have been a career ender for them. It was a major studio movie that just lost a shitload of money. <laughs> and uh, and then instead of sort of doing that, they just kind of retreated back and did a, a, a small independent film. They wrote, you know, the lead for, for Francis um, and kind of reminded everyone about what was so great about the Coen brothers. Because it's not a huge... Uh, it's not a huge narrative leap from their first film, Blood Simple, to Fargo. Like, they're both sort of in the same wheelhouse that they're these sort of, sort of neo-noir-inspired, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're ransom kidnapping crime type movies. But you do see sort of what they learned as, as aesthetes in those years between them. You see sort of how their style has evolved. But I think you're right that the, the Francis McDormand character in Fargo is not someone that they could have written any point earlier in their career without being cynical about it. Yeah. You know, that they they do tend to write people who are, are bad or at least like gray or who have these these complexities. And they've they did something really fascinating here, which was they wrote they wrote a complex, complicated, nice person. Yeah. No, yeah, and 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 I also like uh this this mix of comedy mm-hmm. but also drama. Mm-hmm. Um which is amazing, like that this dark comedy. Yeah. I think that that's one of the first dark comedies that, that I was really impressed. Yeah. And then after that, I started watching more comedy. I, I think the next one was The Big Lebowski, which oh, is yeah. like... Which was, yeah, the next movie after this one that came and out. And it's yeah. funny because it's I don't think it's very similar to Fargo, but I love it. I yeah. love The Big Lebowski. I saw a dude at the grocery store the other day in the full Lebowski pajamas, house slippers, <laughs> and a robe, and I was like, goddamn Cohen Brothers, this is your fault. <laughs> I blame you. Did he you? had the beard and everything. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Alright, well, the next film on your list I think we could also classify as a dark comedy, although the horror elements are certainly uh, what it's more... Noted and remembered for. Uh, Sergio, what is the next movie on your 1996 top five? I big scream. Yeah. Who are you? The question is, where am I? The critics call Scream the most terrifying movie of the year. Help me, somebody! It's clever, hip, and scary. Yeah. Wes Craven is in top form. Motors are incidental. And Rolling Stone calls it smashingly scary. Oh, my God. Drew Barrymore gives a tour de force performance that rivals Janet Leigh's in Psycho. It's the scariest movie of the year. We all go a little mad sometimes. Scream, rated R. Starts Friday, December 20th. Yeah, you needed to put a scream. I love I'm fucking that dying movie. here, man. <laughs> I, the first time I watch it, I watch it in a movie party at the Alamo Draft House when I live in Paso. Oh, oh, oh wow. nice. It yeah, was that's the way to see it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, Because... I went with a friend. He was visiting me from um, from Mexico, and we went to watch a movie. That it was a movie party, mm-hmm. and by then I was in love with movie parties. Yeah, yeah. I'm from the draft house, and um, and I remember there was like this group of women behind us, like quoting every <laughs> line. But for some reason, it wasn't annoying. Yeah. It was so funny. It's very charming. They knew. Every single yeah. line of the yeah. movie, and it was so fun. Yeah, it was. It's a really fun movie, and I love. Uh, the other day, I watched uh, Shoker at the Draft House, and the guy who presented the movie, which is directed by Wes Craven, mm-hmm. he said that when Wes Craven made Shoker, he um, 
he was kind of um I think by then uh he didn't have any power on the um um on the Freddy Ni- movies. Nightmare, yeah, 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 on Nightmare on Elm Street anymore. He didn't have any power. So he went I think it's a universal film. Mm-hmm. And Universal was like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You we want to beat the shit out of <laughs> Nightmare of Elm Street. So create right. a new Nightmare of Elm Street. And he made Shoker, which is a monster in the dreams of the like you know, like I right, don't know right, this right. And I feel like when when he made a scream, um I don't know, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like it's just tying of creating ink. He's just like making fun of the It feels horror. much more inspired. It feels a lot more alive and like mm-hmm. I mean it yeah. feels like somebody who like had a, a new idea for the first time in yeah. ten years. Yeah. And is excited to get out there and do it. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's what's fun. One of the things for me that's sort of fascinating about it in the context is, of his career is that, you know, Kevin Williamson is the screenwriter and, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a low key brilliant script. Like it's yeah. really beautifully crafted. Um, but, you know, it's also sort of a, a logical continuation for Wes Craven from, uh, from New Nightmare, which had came out two years earlier and was his attempt to sort of reckon with the, the legacy of the Nightmare on Elm Street, what he had created and what it had become, which was very different from what he had created, as you mentioned. Um, and even in, the, in that movie, you start to see the idea of him tinkering with, with sort of meta cinematic commentary yeah, that, and things yeah. like that. And so, you know, I love the way that, that, that then he sort of in this film takes that idea to sort of the nth degree, you know, yeah. and it's like, I'm going to comment on this without talking about myself. I'm going to talk, I'm going to take on the entire genre. Um, in a really inspired way, I think. Yeah. I love that all the meta stuff and making fun of horror films. Yeah. I love that. But at the same time being a great one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's not it's not like you know, like scary movie. You yes, know, like exactly. the, the scary movie movies <laughs> right. that are just like let's just replicate the scene from that movie and make fun and put right. Shaquille on the film. Like right. this movie I think it's smart with what they are doing, you yeah. know. They are like Making fun of the dinner, but at all at the same time telling a story. Yes. Telling a really good story. Yeah. I love the the, the I never forget when when they're watching the movie and they're telling the rules of yes. you know the horror movies and you never have to be alone. Right. And, but um it's like I love that mix of horror movie mm-hmm. and, and comedy. It's yeah. Well done. So well yeah, done. and when it's done poorly, it's just impossible to watch. But exactly. when it's done this well, it's like it's tough to beat. The the one thing I do want to add about this b- before we move on is that you know I, again saw this in '96 in the theater, saw yeah. it opening night. Okay, and I finally had the experience that you know you hear people talk about when Psycho came out and what a huge shock it was when Janet Lee dies a third of the way through the movie yeah. because she was the biggest star in it and like well where does the movie go from now? Um. They very cleverly did not let on that Drew Barrymore was going to die in the opening sequence of this. She was prominently billed. She was in all of the promotional materials. She's in all of the cast photos. Like we went in thinking it was like a a Drew Barrymore movie because, again, she was the biggest star in it at the time. So when we realized that they were actually killing her, whatever it is, like eight minutes into the movie, it's so effective because you're like, oh, shit, all bets are off. Like anybody can die. Anybody can die in this movie. And that honestly is one of the many things that I think the um, 
the sequels and especially this this most recent round of them uh, will not don't have the the stones to do yeah. is to just like kill a, an important character at the drop yeah. of a hat you know it's it's they, what do you think about the the new movie that was released two years ago the, the, the last the one that just came out uh, I didn't like at all and the, the, you mean six or five? Five. Okay, five. <laughs> I went to see five a couple weeks after it had come out, and I was like, well, this is an interesting choice to do a Scream movie with no scares and no jokes. <laughs> um, <laughs> go with God, I guess. Uh, the, the the new one is coming out, like, I think, like, literally today. Tonight, as, yeah. Yeah, as we're recording this, and I was not asked to see it. I was not assigned to see it. <laughs> Uh, and I, I don't plan to see it. I think the series should have died with Wes Craven, if even then. I didn't even like the last couple of Scream sequels. I like Scream 2 because okay. it's doing some clever stuff. Again, meta-commentary yeah. on the horror sequel and its conventions. Uh, and after that, I think they've been running on, on, a, on a pretty empty tank. Also, they don't, yeah, they, they don't have, if you've done the Matthew Lillard in the first one without the, I mean, I know. that's the performance of... I know, Mike. No, I Matt, mean, Matt Lillard is amazing. It's <laughs> like an all-time film performance. It's incredible, you know. Yeah, yes. it's incredible. Matt Lillard is, but it's some. It's not like amazing. I mean, it's not like he's that good in anything else. And it's, I mean, I don't like. It's sort of hard to explain. It's that like crossover of like time. He'll just don't, always be that guy. Character don't say that in front of my girlfriend. She loves Matt <laughs> Lillard. <laughs> all right. Well, moving then to another filmmaker who is uh, tinkering with uh, with form and with uh, with meta commentary. Uh, <laughs> Sergio, what is the fourth film on your top five I list? I Irma Bep. This is one you can be on my web because you have the grace. I tell them I can do the film if you do the part. But it's just tough on me because I don't fight. I'm not a good fighter myself. So it's a little bit difficult when I have to do do the actions. From Irma Bep, that's how you Irma Bep, right? Sounds right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and and why why this film? What what do you love about? I it so watch much? it last year for the first time. Mm-hmm. I watch it last year for the first time because the series version was coming out. Or no, just, just actually on a lark? because it was oh, like a long time my watch list. Mm-hmm. So they play it here at the Austin Film Society. And mm. I was like, I'm I'm always down to watching movies yeah. at the in a movie theater. Yeah. So yeah. like. Yeah, why not? Yeah, um, like Paris, Texas. They play for the. I've never seen it before. I watch it like a couple of weeks also in a movie theater for the first time. So in Texas, uh, pretty good. In Texas, <laughs> pretty good. And um, I remember it was amazing because like it's. I I like to watch films without knowing what am I gonna watch. Yeah, and with Aramabeb, I didn't have any idea of what I w- was going to watch. And, and I also halfway th- through, you still don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually. Which I love. And I just love the whole film, film about films. Yep. I like those. Yep. Sometimes they're kind of bad, but sometimes they're really good. This is yeah. a really good film about films, about making films Yeah. and all the process behind it. And I think there's also like a dark comedy behind it. I, I, I pick all, like dark comedies. Like, comedies. <laughs> okay, it's your sensibility. I just really liked about that. Yeah, and I love it. There's this scene in a, like a um, dining table with a lot of characters mm-hmm. and it's still in my mind mm-hmm. and it's so well done. Cinematography, it's amazing in that scene and it, it's a scene in which um, one of the actresses, no, one of the well, one of the characters, she's like, she's falling in love with the main character, and then other characters are like, 
why don't you tell right. her? And they're in the kitchen. I love that, that scene a is, lot. Yeah. The, the cinematography and the blocking and the motion, it just the like blocking, it's is incredible. And it it's it feels like it has to be improvised, but for it to be that good, there's no way it's improvised. Right. Yeah. Right? Like right. just unbelievable. And it's throughout the movie, yeah. but that scene in particular is incredibly yeah. well constructed. Yeah, you know, throughout the movie, like the whole movie is so well um, um, blocked. Yeah. And I think that's something that blocking is something that many people forget. Oh, I agree. When it comes to um, film criticism, or just talking about movies, like, like well, it's a thing a lot of film directors forget <laughs> as well. <laughs> I think, <laughs> and that's like f- first job, like yeah. that's the main job of the director. So yeah. the the this film it's so well done. I yeah. really love Irma Bab. It's, yeah. No, it's terrific, and and you know, and I will say again, not not to reference my my past as a failed filmmaker too many times in the same episode, but the one of the things that I liked about it most when I saw it for the first time, which was also just a couple of years ago, um, is how well it captures the the sort of fam- familial vibe that happens on a film set. Yeah. The way that like you're just you're all working so hard on a project in such close proximity yeah. for this extended period of time and you do it becomes like you start like you know there are little romances and you start yeah. gossiping and yeah, you start oh little alliances God. and you you know like all you're, of that you're, stuff. Right now you're in a film school. Right. <laughs> yes. We're, yeah. we're recording this in a film school and that's happening. Yeah. Yeah, big time. Big time. <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's finish it out. What is the final Final film on your top five of '96, perhaps my, perhaps the heaviest of the bunch. My Glee: Secrets and Lies. I'm trying to locate a Cynthia Purley. Please. I'm off now, then, sweetheart. Ain't you gonna tell me where? Cheers. <laughs> you never tell me where you're going. You don't ever go nowhere. She can't be the one that. I. Don't break my heart, darling. The things you know nothing about. Someone tell me what's going on. From award-winning director Mike Lee. Truth will out. This movie. I love it. It's so good. And the first movie of Mike Lee that I watched was Naked. Okay. I watched Naked a couple of years ago. All right. And then I was like. Who is this Who the guy? Fuck is this? But I didn't yeah. watch it because of, oh, I want to watch Mike Lee's film, like like with Bergman, like with Bergman mm-hmm. first movie Persona. But yeah. with with Naked, I watch it because I I just I don't know. I watched the the image that they have on the Criterion Channel, yep. what like, and it was pandemic, so I was like, yeah, why not? And I watch it, and I love it so much. Mm-hmm. And then I watch another year. I mm-hmm. remember one one I one night in in Mexico, in my hometown, I couldn't sleep. And I just went to my laptop and I started watching another year. Mm-hmm. And it, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need to watch more films of Mike Lee. And I watched Secrets and Lies. And it, it's spectacular. Yeah. I feel like Mike Lee, every time I watch a Mike Lee film, I think I'm watching the best performance in like ever. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, like Timothy Spall in that film, it's amazing. Breaks your heart. He breaks your heart. The, the, the yeah. title monologue in this movie is just, yeah. I don't know. It's like, you know, I this was the first Mike Lee that I'd ever seen. Oh, okay. Um, because and saw it when it came out. Saw it at the uh, at the Wichita Center for the Arts, maybe with you, mm-hmm. Michael. Uh, Jake Uecker, rest in peace. Uh, programmed it there uh, not long after its original release, and 
I didn't really know who he was other than he was just yeah. this British dude and he made like these working class dramas. And it's what's what's incredible about his movies, especially in this period, is if you describe like if you logline them to somebody, yeah. they sound like the most sort of, you know, soapy melodrama nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, like a play. Yeah. Like a play. Yeah. And but it's just invested with such humanity and such realism and everyone is so present. And I know a huge part of that is just is his working method is the way, yeah. at least at that time, that he was making films in collaboration with actors and they're doing these workshops and building a script out of improvisation. But the performers, two of one in this movie, these yeah. characters are also well crafted and also everybody gets like a, at least a moment, even yeah. the smallest yeah. characters, yeah. to be and, a person. And that's what I love because... Usually it's one character driven story, but yep. with Mike Lee, you have so many characters, so more, so much stuff going on. Mm -hmm. But what I love the most is no matter how miserable these characters are, there is some sense of optimism. Yep, on, on the films, on the scenes, you like no matter if the character is crying, you know everything is gonna be all right, right. somehow. Right, and and I love that with Mike Lee. There's yeah. some. You said I, there's some humanity, there's some optimism, there's some love in these characters. I don't know. It's I feel like Mike Lee is the kind of person who's like there's love in every person, I agree. and I can see it in his films, which right. I, I, which oh. is why it's also so great that his public persona is just as this like miserable man <laughs> yeah. who, who does not want to talk about his movies, does not want to talk to anyone he doesn't know. You know, the the great, like, that great gif of him in that, like, director's roundtable a couple of years ago just sitting there looking like he'd rather be getting dental surgery than be sitting, <laughs> like, next to Christopher Nolan talking about why he makes movies. Um, yeah, first-rate first picture. Um, the, the, way, the, the, the way in which it deals, as with all of his films, the way that it deals with class is mm. so smart and so yep. savvy and so um, insightful without being like, let's talk about the working class. Yeah. You know, instead yeah. just like the way it's like little throwaway lines, like her saying, what's he want with six bedrooms anyway? Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> like that's sort of a class section right there. And then the only other thing I wanted to say about it was like me and my weirdo friends spent about six months after the movie calling each other, sweetheart, sweetheart, sweetheart. <laughs> You cannot overdo but, like, the Brenda Blethyn accent. I just love, like, every time I'm watching a Miley film, I really feel this. these are, like, real people. Yeah. These yeah. are, like, Big real time. people of real life. And, and, and it's very intimate and, like, getting inside yeah. without being, like, voyeuristic. Right. Yeah, like, it's, it's like, oh, nice. Uh, mm-hmm. Comf like comfortable to be with these characters, no matter right. the situation, and yeah, he's really good creating characters, and I think he's one of the best directors directing actors. Yes, yeah, and the idea that sort of the the the, the basic idea that we're going to put. We're going to spend two hours creating these characters and putting them in these small combinations and then to put them in that family yeah. dinner at the end and just like watch what happens. It's yeah. just like that's that's just that's just a really, really well crafted narrative. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this is a great top five. Sarah. Thank you so much for putting it together for us. <laughs> it, 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 frankly, it was a nice little walk down memory lane because, again, this is when we were in college and really getting movie crazy. And so we were seeing <laughs> these are all things that we saw, like when they came out, just kind of like went to, you know, to Cinemas East or wherever and devoured them. And now, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by MUBI, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there is always something new to discover. 
With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected so you can explore the best of cinema, streaming anytime, anywhere. So, for example, this week, if you're looking to watch a little something from 1996, I would heartily recommend the documentary Red Hollywood, which is a really first-rate little doc about the Hollywood blacklist, uh, which I would assume you're interested in if you're listening to our show, uh, but mostly about the movies that were made by its targets, and it approaches them in a really sort of nuanced and complex way, and it's just, it's really well-researched, goes in some unexpected directions, it's full of cinema history. Um, and directed by Tom Anderson, who did the incredible Los Angeles plays itself, Yay. and Noel Birch. Yeah, 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 good movie. And Noel Birch also. Mike, what about you? I would recommend, well, there is an Argento giallo horror that, if you're into that, like, <laughs> if you're into it, <laughs> does course. not disappoint. But the movie I'd recommend from 1996 on movie is called Pusher. It is a Danish mm. drug dealer movie, and it's great. It is so European. Nobody's having fun. Nobody looks cool. It's a very good, like, European drug dealer movie. You know, we have a very hard time making drug dealer movies here without it seeming appealing in some way or another, <laughs> even when everybody dies. Right. Nobody, no, the, the the cops aren't fun. The dealers aren't having fun. The users definitely aren't having fun. The nightclubs all suck. But it's a really great movie in that sort of 90s, you know, it, it everybody's yeah. wearing track suits. <laughs> and uh, worth mentioning, uh, that one directed by uh, Nick, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, uh, who went on to do Drive and Only God Forgives and all sorts of other uh, movies that uh, that were perhaps a bit better known to domestic audiences. All right, folks, you can try Mubi free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash a very good year. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash a very good year for a whole month of great cinema for free. Free. Let's also talk about what films were winning trophies and making money in the year 1996. Here's Mike with awards and box office. Sell out with me, oh yeah, sell out with me tonight. The record company's only... Nice shout out to fucking Euchre, bro. Jake Euchre. Yeah. Like, hard to yeah. overestimate the R. impact R. he had on... All of us. ...on our ability to see things yep. worth seeing. Man. Okay, yep. Sorry. I, I didn't. I didn't necessarily. I didn't see that. I didn't know that was coming. I'm still recovering I didn't from the Jake Uger R.I.P. Neither till we were talking about. Yeah, my goodness. Okay, let's do this. Uh, sorry. Oscar winners: Best Picture, Best Director to Anthony Minghella, Best Supporting Actress to Juliette Binoche for The English Patient. I've never seen The English Patient. I don't love The English Patient at all. <laughs> and Not at it's all. with Ray Fiennes, right? Huh? Ray Fiennes Ray starred. Fiennes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kirk, Kristen Scott Thomas. Uh, Juliette Binoche, you know, totally deserving Best Supporting Actress. I love Juliette Binoche. She's one of my yeah, favorite, I love her. One of my yeah. favorite actors. It's a really good performance. I, I, the English Patient was just, it was very much a movie that Miramax made in the 90s to win Oscars. Yeah. Like, that's a that, whole that time subset of, yeah. of, of 90s indie cinema. Or like, this is the respectable... Uh, Oscar-friendly Miramax yeah. movie, and most of them are just boring as shit. Yeah, I haven't seen Shakespeare in Love, but it's also it kind of the same, kind of the same thing, <laughs> kind of the same thing. It's got a little more, little more life in it, but I, yeah, I don't love that one either. All right, best actress, well deserved, Frances McDormand, and best original screenplay to the Coen yeah. Brothers for Fargo. Yeah, the Very first well first Oscar for each. They're the the first Coen Brothers Oscar as well, and the first of Frances McDormand's McDormand. three. 
Academy Awards for Best Actress, which is stunning and uh, well-deserved. Well yeah. deserved yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Best Actor to Jeffrey Rush. He won the same award at the BAFTAs, the Critics' Choice, the SAG, and the Golden Globes for Drama for Shine. I've that guy had to make a new shelf. He had to make a whole new shelf in his uh, in his little statue room. I've you know, shine. shine shine is fine. That's that's my. It's all, it's all there's right. there's my rhyme for okay. you. Shine is fine. I, I I saw it at the time. I said, "Yep, he's really good. He's going to win all the Oscars." And I've never thought about it since. Yep. Best Supporting Actor to Cuba Gooding Jr. Also Golden Globe for Best Actor oh, Comedy or Musical yeah. to Tom Cruise. For Jerry Maguire. I feel like in 96, it felt like that was the only movie that came out that year. Yeah. Yeah. It was. (laughs) I mean, you know what? It's it's the kind of it's like it's hard to imagine really now, like just a character driven comedy drama uh, making as much money and having as much cultural impact as Jerry Maguire had that year. And it's a movie that's gone through phases like there. There was it was cool to like it for a time. And then for a while, it was sort of the epitome of like the sort of lame square 90s movie or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's maybe come back in favor. I love Jerry Maguire. I think Cameron Crowe. I watch it once. Mm. I would like to rewatch it. Um, Mm. And speaking about Cameron Crowe, I watch We Bought a Sue. Okay, well, that's not that's not an entry point for Mr. Crowe's work. That's not the, the later. But I would like no, to he re- really like Cameron Crowe has fallen off a cliff in a way that like <laughs> that a, a few 90s, good 90s filmmakers have. You know, Rob Reiner leaps to mind as well. Um, there was a time where he just every movie was a fucking banger. Sergio, every one was with good with Cameron Crowe. Like, yeah. I mean, Say Anything yeah. was great and Singles was great and Jerry Maguire was almost great. Famous. And almost Famous is great. Yeah. And I like Vanilla Sky. And then like after that, it's just kind of down. But dude, Jerry Maguire, so, like people were literally like selling T-shirts and bumper stickers. That oh, had, totally. you had me at hello. Really? You had me at hello. I mean, like, show me the money. Very hard yeah. to yeah. sort of reconstruct a, how much. Yes. Yeah, I would. I would like to rewatch the movie. It's I, worth I, it. I watched it a, like a long time ago, and I, I remember I like it. I remember I like it, but yeah, I would like to rewatch it. Like if there was um, such a thing I as like gifts and memes in '96, like show right. me the money yeah, would yeah, have yeah. been the the absolute the, the meme of the year. Yeah. 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 Best foreign film went to Kolya. I've never seen that. I saw it at the Wichita Center for the Arts program by Jake Uecker that that year. It's very much a uh, an academy friendly. It's like you know a grumpy guy who like has to like adopt a child sort of thing. Oh, okay. Um, but you know what? It, it was good. It was. It's. It's a. It's a. It's for that kind of thing. It's quite enjoyable. Oh, okay. Never heard about this movie. There okay. You go. And Best Original Song, also Golden Globe for Best Actress Comedy Musical for Evita. Yeah, I, I, I still have never seen Evita. I've never seen that one. Never made to watch it. more 1996 movies. <laughs> <laughs> you've seen plenty. You've seen, you've seen plenty for a young buck such as yourself. What else, Some Mike? other big winners, the BAFTA and the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Drama went to Brenda Blethyn and the BAFTA for mm-hmm. Best Original Screenplay for Secrets and Lies. Yeah, yeah, both both Richard. Yeah, that's that's the movie that wins a lot of BAFTAs. A lot of BAFTAs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Critics' Choice uh, for Best Supporting Actress went to Joan Allen, and the BAFTA for Best Supporting Actor went to Paul Schofield for The Crucible. That's one that I just saw uh, a couple of years ago when it came out on Blu-ray, and it is quite good. A good good Daniel Day Lewis performance. Winona Ryder is really good in that one. It's it's worth checking uh, out. Best director Milos Forman, best screenplay Scott Alexander, and Larry Karaszewski at the Golden Globes for The People versus Larry Flint. Great little film. People versus Larry Flint is, a good is, movie. is a fascinating. It's really I've good. Never seen it, Larry. It's really good. Yeah, yeah, it's really well done. It's beautifully acted. It's probably Woody Harrelson's best work. 
Um, definitely Courtney Love's best. And a really, really smart and funny screenplay by Scott Alexander and our friend Larry Karaszewski, who was on the last podcast, and I, I hope will one day be on this one. It's a really interesting, you know, that movie is like, how do you make a movie that in a way sort of lionizes somebody who is like definitely despicable, but also right. like not as bad yeah. as the people he's fighting against? Like there's just so right. many layers of personality. Yeah. And and Larry Flint is such a complicated person who is like a terrible person who is also frequently correct <laughs> right <laughs> sort of right you yeah. know his public and milos, milos foreman was just like i would never have thought to that that would be a movie that milos foreman would direct but he was such an inspired choice like he he was absolutely the right guy to make that movie yeah good movie uh golden yeah. globe and sag awards for best supporting actress went to lauren bacall for the mirror has two faces yeah, I remember this being a big this was I mean it was not a scandal but it was a big the the shock of the Oscars was that like she had sort of cruised through the entire, you know, award yeah. season. Yeah. And it was very much seen as oh they this is going to be another one of those sentimental awards like we finally give Lauren Bacall an Oscar, yada 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 yeah. and then like and Juliette Binoche won it. And that that was like a big shock and a big surprise on Oscar night. And you know, I'm glad Juliette Binoche has an Oscar. I I <laughs> I wish Lauren Bacall also had an Oscar. So uh, how about uh, some top ten? Uh, it was just yeah, Jerry yeah. Maguire. Here's, I'll, I'll, Jerry Maguire. I bet a whole bunch of I bet a whole bunch of uh, of great movies are going to be on this list <laughs> since we had we heard there were so many good things in '96. I bet <laughs> this will be chock full of inspired, brilliant, thoughtful films. Mike, wh- what's our number ten? Uh, we're just getting this one out of the way, right? The Michael Jordan movie, Space Jam. Remember when I said he was God famous? Damn it. Or, yeah. In number ten. <laughs> number ten. People really I- wanted to see. A feature-length version of the Nike commercials oh, the, wait, with this Michael is, this Jordan. Is, this and is box Bugs office, right? Yes. This okay, is box I office. was like, this is a dumb. No, no, no. This is these are the the movies that did the that made the most money in the states in '96. So okay, well, Space Jam, you know, that's that's an anomaly. Yeah, People I, loved Michael Jordan. What what, what else was I'm on? I'm actually now surprised that it's not like top five, <laughs> <laughs> considering how much your generation and I'm pointing a finger at you. <laughs> <laughs> loves this movie. I'm not surprised either. Uh, number nine was Jerry Maguire. You know, like we said, bumper good, stickers and good. t-shirts. Number yep, eight, yep, yep. The Nutty Professor. Okay, oh. now here's the thing. I will go to bat a little bit for The Nutty Professor. The, the Eddie Murphy Nutty <laughs> Professor. I saw it opening weekend. I laughed a lot. He's he's doing some inspired, you know, the 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 sort of the the sequels and ripoffs. Uh, 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 not 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 quite as inspired. <laughs> But I do still, I do still stand the original Nutty Professor a little bit. Number seven, a movie that I th- seems largely forgotten, Ransom. Yep, yeah, Ransom is mostly forgotten. Yes, Ron Howard, Mel Gibson. It was fine. It was fine. But people went Never to see it because it. it had a good trailer and Mel Gibson saying, I, yeah, "I'm gonna." And it was when Mel Gibson was a big star. Huge, huge. We didn't know a lot of still things about bag, Mel at that time, but very <laughs> still famous. a douchebag. Yeah. Uh, number six was 101 Dalmatians. The live action Glenn Close starring. Oh, re- yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that was, it was that year. Yeah, I yeah. remember I used to rent that movie, Blockbuster, on <laughs> yeah. VHS. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's scams. Number five, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. All right. Oh. One of the few Disney animated features I've still never gotten around to seeing. Number four, The Rock. Starring. Probably not The Rock. Never seen that Not one. The Rock. No, no, uh, no. This was a movie that was very popular that I I didn't like then. Many other people didn't like then. Now it's somehow like been lionized as sort of this no, 90s action classic. Not good. 
It's not good. No. It's the, not good. The Rock is before Armageddon. Right? Yes, two years before two Armageddon. Years. Armageddon is ninety-eight. Yeah, okay. yeah. The Rock was 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 what got him Armageddon. I'm sure. Oh. The Rock has uh, Jeff Garland and I interviewed once, and he went off on a whole thing about the the car chase in The Rock. This was not in '96. This was like in 2014 or something. But about how there's this whole random car chase out of nowhere in yeah. The Rock that goes nowhere. It does not move the plot one little bit. <laughs> It ends and you're like, why was there just a fucking car chase? And I think the answer is just Michael Bay wanted to put a car chase in his movie that's set on a prison island. It's awful, dude. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> th- uh, number three on the money list: Mission Colon Impossible. <laughs> you should always say the colon in the always middle. I love, I love the original Mission Impossible. Fucking great. I love. I rewatch all of them in yeah. January. Yeah. I think all of them are good. I think they're all good as I well. I think all of them. Even the second even one. Even the second one is has John, things we John like. Wolf, it's a John Woo movie. Yeah, like, this one is very much a Brian De Palma movie. Yeah, like, there is so Brian much movie. great Brian De Palma uh, technique that he was able to sneak into a Summer Temple movie. I, I love no, it for that. It's been, and it's a really fun movie. It it's is. A fun movie. It's a lot of fun. God, why do I remember this as being a good movie year? This is such... Yeah. T- this is just <laughs> trash. Number two fucking twister. <laughs> Ugh, bad. I don't care what Twitter Twister says. Terrible. Which one? Twister. Oh, Twister. With yeah. Bill Pullman and Helen. I've Hunt. never watched a movie, but I was in the Universal ride. I oh, well, that's, see, that's all it should be <laughs> yes. is a ride. It's yes. a ride that you go on in a theme park. Speaking of which. Jesus, number one, Independence Day. Can we move this podcast uh, along? <laughs> all right, here we go. All right, Independence Day. So that was like the year of Michael Bay and Ronald Emmerich. Like, yeah, like yeah. No, it was, was, was a big year the beginning for of... big year for blowing shit up. 1996. <laughs> yes, but we're not going to talk about that any longer than we have to. Terry, so, are you ready to do a lightning round? Uh, uh, what? You want to do a lightning round? Well, well yeah. What, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> we're putting five minutes on the big clock. I'm going to run you down a bunch more 1996 movies. If you've seen it and have thoughts on it, say so. Okay. If you haven't, oh, you can just damn. pass. And here we go. Okay. Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket. Great movie. Yeah, I've seen that one. It's it's so fun. It's so I, I really like it. Um, it's a cool like kind of road trip movie. Yep. And it's his first feature film. Whoa! So in 1986, yeah. we have Ronald Emmerich, and then we're... no, that was. Independence was first. No, no, no. He had, he had. He had. Why am I talking before? about Ronald Emmerich? It's I, fine. Like I was talking about Wes Anderson. Yeah, I love him. And then <laughs> I love like I, I love that he graduated from here from UT and with yeah. Owen Wilson they make that film is very inspirational. But I love when I when I watch it like during the pandemic I watch it for the first time and I was like like you can see his. I feel like the filmography, like Wes Anderson's filmography, you can see his style developing mm-hmm. more and more and more and more. Mm-hmm. So a point in which we get to French Dispatch, which I don't love, but uh, like in, in Bottle Rocket, um, you can see the style. But I also love when his his movies used to be about family, about yep. friendship, yep. and Bottle Rocket. It's so good. It's yes. so great. I love it. Yes. Uh, from director Doug Lyman and screenwriter star John Favreau, Swingers was released in 1996. I've never seen Swingers. Oh, you got a, a good one. It's John Favreau. I, I remember, I know that film because it's mentioned in The Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, David O. Russell's Flirting with Disaster. Uh, no, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> I, sh- I Shot Andy Warhol was released in 1996. What's that? Oh, okay. See, I Shot Andy Warhol by uh, Mary Heron. It's very good. Uh, the Craft was released. 
released in 19. I've never seen The Craft. My girlfriend's gonna kill me because she loved that movie. She loves that movie. But well, I now you now now you. Have I a, have a homework. You have, homework. <laughs> uh, from director Robert Rodriguez and screenwriter star Quentin Tarantino, from Dusk Till Dawn was yeah, released in 1996. I've seen that movie. I don't love it. Uh, it's not it's, what it, uh, it's, yeah. but it's fun. It's there's, fun. It's a fun movie. There's fun stuff. I remember someone. I have a professor in 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 high school in Mexico. And he talked about that movie, and he used to hate that movie because he said like, "It's about detectives." I think it's about detectives, but then it turns into a vampire movie. I don't know why they did that. <laughs> and I was like. I need to watch a movie. Yeah. And then I watch it. I think it was fun, but I it's didn't like it. It's it's neither of their best work, but yeah. it is a lot of fun. And the first movie George Clooney made after he became a star. And I think oh. it's it's a lot of fun now primarily as yeah. a George George Clooney vehicle. Because he's having a great time with Quentin Tarantino's dialogue in that movie. James and the Giant Peach from director oh, Harry yeah. Selleck. I, I watched it when I was a kid and I, I used to enjoy it a lot. It used to play on Disney Channel and mm-hmm. It's it, it's a really great movie and and let me tell you, that's a Disney movie right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I watched uh, yesterday. I watched the short films and they and I watched Le, Pou- Le Poupil, which is a Disney film. Mm-hmm. And now I watched the film and I really like it. And I was mm-hmm. like, Disney, why 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 aren't you making this films like feature films like right. like for movie theaters? Right? Why why are you freaking <laughs> more Marvel stuff and more remakes? Make these films like yeah. And I think um, that film. Um, James and the Giant Peach? It, I think that's a great example of a film that Disney made. And I think it's a film that it's for kids, yeah. for all family, but they're mature. Yes. You know, they're not treating kids as like like shit, you know? No, like, that's like dummies, you know? That's Harry Selleck. He's, who's, who's always got a little bit exactly. of a dark edge to his stuff, yeah. which is welcome and wonderful. Yeah. Um, in my humble opinion. Uh, Mike Nichols' The Birdcage, starring no. Robin Williams. Great movie. Yeah, I, actually, I was going to watch that one last year in the Alamo, but I think I got It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. All right, uh, last one. Adam Sandler as Happy Gilmore. I love it. I love it. During the pandemic, I watched Happy Gilmore and um, Billy Madison for the first time. Never seen them before. Uh-huh. And I was like, this guy, it's amazing. This, this, like Adam Sandler, you say genius. Like, it's so stupid. It's so fun. I love when, when that scene in Happy Gilmore, when he's yelling at the, yelling at the, like the ball that is yes. next to a whole. <laughs> Dude, I love it. That film is amazing. It's great. You know, I feel like there is a real, especially among us movie snobs, to really kind of disregard those early vehicles as being stupid, you know. uh, But the thing is, when when they made Punch Drunk Love, Paul Thomas Anderson gave interviews where they were like, why are you making a movie with Adam Sandler? And And he he said, said, because I watch Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison all the time. All the time. Yeah, I re- this I, man has a quality that I I want to I want to dive into. I want to work with that. Guy. Yeah, I remember. I, I watched the Can uh, mm-hmm. press conference, and someone is. I think PT was kind of high, and he's like, <laughs> "PT Anderson? Yeah, no, yeah. get out of town." <laughs> well, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I remember, and then remember they were like, "Why do you pick Adam Sandler?" He was like. Because he's funny. Yeah, that, that's it. And I think that the the I remember I was living in New York in 2019, and I went to the Anka James Q and A with the Safdie brothers, and they and someone asked mm-hmm. like, "Why Adam Sandler?" I mean, it was like an obvious question, and they said like, "Because of like you will think that we pick him because of Punch Drunk Love, but we actually pick Adam Sandler because of his comedy film, like yep. his film, like that's the type of character we wanted." 
we don't want a dramatic character. We right. a dramatic actor. We want the guy, the guy who made Billy Madison yep. in Happy Gilmore. We want that guy yep. to be Howard. Yep. And yeah, like when I watch Happy Gilmore, I was like, this, this guy is so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for the lightning round. Uh, we're now going to throw it real quick to our friend WXL Foley for a quick PSA. Head on over to your favorite podcasting app. Give us a star, a rate, a review. Give us a written review and tell us that you love us because that's what lets people know. Mike, I thought he was going to be here. Okay, well, that one's fine. Didn't he do some other PSAs for us? Like, isn't there one in here about STDs? Where, when is this the STDs um, <laughs> PSA coming up? Uh, I think that one's supposed to run in July. Okay, great. I'll keep an eye out for that. All right. Um, Sergio, where can people follow you on social media and or see your work? Um, in Twitter, Instagram, and I do TikToks, and I'm, you can find me as at El Sergio Muñoz, which is E-L and then Sergio Muñoz, S-E-R-G-I-O-M-U-N-O-Z. And I have my podcast, which is in Spanish, and you can try. I gave it a listen. I'm like, well, he seems to know what he's talking about. <laughs> he speaks with a lot of authority yeah. and curiosity. <laughs> Yeah, my podcast called Is That Okay, which is in Spotify, Apple Podcast, and other, I think, other podcast platform. I would love to do more stuff in English um, and more writing. But, yeah, that's where you can find me. And, I mean, you can watch some of my short films on my website, Sergio Muñoz Esquer. .com, uh, .com, I see in Spanish, uh, .com, uh, which is S-E-R-G-I-O-M-U-N-O-C-E-S-Q-U-E-R.com. Or you can go, just go to Twitter, my profile, and just there's the link. There Easier. you go. There you have it. <laughs> All right, I am Jason Dash Bailey on Twitter, Fun City Cinema on Instagram. Mike, where can folks find you? I am at Brainwashed Lib on Twitter. All right. And Mike, uh, what before we go, what was your favorite movie of the year 1996? My favorite movie of 1996 is called The Watermelon Woman. Oh, it, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, good one. Great Have you guys film. seen it? Yeah, yeah I love yeah. it. Good I, one. Love, I it. love that movie so much. It's a, it's about a, a filmmaker who works at a video store and is studying, you know, um, the history of film and trying to find this one particular character. And she's combing through archives and, and she meets somebody new at the at the video store and starts a relationship. And it's just it's a movie about being a filmmaker in 1996 um, and, and sort of it's just doing research before the Internet. It's just really good. <laughs> and, you know, there's. They, 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 it was, uh, the director's first who also stars in the movie. It was her first, yeah. uh, feature and they try to, to approach some, some heavy subjects that neither the writer or the actors are quite ready for in that sort of indie sense, yeah. you know, that sort of low budget oh, yeah. sense. Um, oh, yeah. But despite its flaws, I just love the movie. It was it's supposedly the first movie that was directed, the first feature directed by an out black lesbian. Mm -hmm. And it's just I and I relate to it in so many ways. It's such a human film. Yeah. I just really love it. Watermelon Woman. I, I I really I really like that movie. I remember the Criterion Channel had like this mm -hmm. like this um collection of Cheryl Dunier, the filmmaker, and I just for some reasons, they're watching them, and I love Watermelon Woman, and I love I love how she combined like this documentary style, and then she got the characters talking to the camera, which I actually it, it inspired me to do a short film doing that. Like it, it's a great film. Yeah, I I love Watermelon Woman. Nice, nice. What's your favorite movie in '96, Bailey? 
I mean, Kazam, starring Shaquille O'Neal, obviously. <laughs> See, he's a genie. And he comes out of the lamp. And it's literally what called Shazam. Shazam. You didn't even get the title right. <laughs> uh, it's called Kazam. Oh, is it? It is. Yeah. No, see, you're doing the, the, the Mandela effect thing. There's a whole... Oh. You got to look up... No, to go Google Shazam uh, genie movie Sinbad. There's like a fictional movie that many people oh, think exists you're right. called Shazam with uh, with Sinbad as a genie. But this was a real movie called Kazam Which with Shaq as a genie. This is not my favorite movie of the year, so I don't know why I'm even like getting sticking on the point. When when 1996 ended my favorite movie of the year, because by then I was like writing it down places, was Courage Under Fire, which I still maintain, is a really underrated, kind of forgotten, all-time great Denzel performance, a really good Meg Ryan performance, playing it very straight, and the first movie I ever saw Matt Damon in. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Um, but my actual pick now with the passing years and having seen more things, uh, the Wachowski's first movie, Bound, came out in 1996. Nice. And Bound is just like, it's one I go back to every two or three years. And I'm still like in awe of that movie that it was their featured debut. It is one of those occasional debut films that just like explodes on the screen with so much confidence and so much film sense and such like such an such just an innate sense of how to like engage and entertain an audience and then you watch it now knowing their personal story and it has like all of these other really fascinating subtextual and psychological layers it's just it's just a wham bang great fucking movie i love bound um, so there we go. Uh, nice. th thank you again, Sergio. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me here. It was really fun and I learned a lot. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jason. And thank you for listening. Yeah.